living a life that matters, and we're actually nearing the end of that. And tonight we're talking about the idea of living wisely. So as we set that up, my question would be, who is the wisest person you know? Not counting yourself, of course. Who might be the wisest person that you know? Or maybe if you think in terms of two or three key people in your life that you would regard as wise, think about those individuals, whoever they may be. And then as you think about them, think about, okay, I regard this person as wise, so what are some of the qualities and characteristics that I see in this person that causes me to regard them as being wise? Because when I think that way, I begin to think about things like this is a person who is proactive rather than reactive. Uh, This is the person who uh, will think before they speak or think before they react. Another way to say it, this is the person who is going to pause before he or she hits send or post. Uh, That that thoughtful kind of thing that keeps us from reacting in a rash way. Um, I think of people who are thinkers. People who have a long-term view of life. In other words, they're living life in 2016, but they're not just thinking about 2016. They're thinking about how life is going to end, and so they're living life backwards with the end in mind. I think about people who make quality decisions. People who, because of the way they make decisions, they seem to be the kind of folks who, we all have our regrets, but these are the kind of folks who they have much less to lament and look back on and say, wow, I wish I'd have made a different or a better choice. And so with those kind of folks in mind, whoever they may be in your life, how many of your own decisions that were less than great can you recall that maybe would have benefited from having had some of these characteristics or, you know, if I'd applied some of these things into my decision making, I might have one less regret. I can think of a couple of things. Uh, coming up on the, the screen, you're going to see a knife, a Swiss Army knife. A lot of us probably have knives that look like that. I had the, the, the knife incident of 1998, and two things I'm going to share, both ended up in, I, I ended up in the ER for both of these. But on this one, uh, it was Wednesday night, it was after Bible study, we were at the house, and I was, I was trying to cut something, some really heavy plastic, and the nearest knife to me was that knife. And so as I started in on this, the thought actually went through my mind, this is not a lock blade knife, you really ought to be careful. And as that thought completed itself in my mind, that's when the knife snapped closed on my finger. And thankfully, one of our friends from church, she was a nurse, she had come by the house to drop something off, was just leaving, and she jumped into action, and uh, I was thankful, but I ended up at the ER to get that stitched. The second one is the garage door incident of 2008. And if you can see a pattern, 98, 2008, I'm a little worried about what may happen in two years, because, you know, if this is a 10-year pattern for me. But it was 11 o'clock at night, Saturday night, and there's a band competition that's ended, and I've got to go to the school and pick up my daughter, Kayla, and, and I realize that the garage door is messed up. And it's a, Sunday, a Saturday night, I've got to travel the next morning, so in the dark, before I go up to the school, I decide that I'm going to fix the garage door. And I got to work on that thing, and uh, I had a, there was a bolt that had a lot of tension on it. It sheared the head off the bolt. And so on my forehead, right in the middle, there's a scar. And every time I go to the mirror, I'm reminded of that incident because there is a scar where 
Uh, that bolt head hit me right in the forehead, sent me to the ER. It wasn't very wise. And so you may have some of those. And, and even though some of our situations might end up in the emergency room, you know, some of the less than wise decisions that we make, that they may have far more serious consequences than getting stitches, right? They may have spiritual consequences to them. And as we think about our world, to say that, that we live in a world that desperately needs wisdom, that's an understatement. Our homes and our marriages and our government and even the church sometimes suffers from a lack of wisdom. And if you think about it, all the way back to the garden, ever since Eve made that unfortunate choice, from that time forward, man has been seeking wisdom. And ultimately, wise decision-making will only ever come from one place, and that is from God. And so, the idea is that God makes wisdom readily available to us, and we've got this choice to make. And when you go to Proverbs chapter 8, you get the idea that wisdom is desperately trying to get our attention. Some of what I read from Proverbs 8 tonight will be from the New American Standard. Some of it will be from the New Century. But notice the first four verses of Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom calls to you like someone shouting. Understanding raises her voice. On the hilltops along the road and at the crossroads, she stands calling beside the city gate at the entrances into the city. She calls out, listen everyone, I'm calling out to you. I'm shouting to all the people. And so the proverb writer is painting this picture of wisdom trying desperately to get the attention of anyone who will listen. And so in our few minutes together tonight, the question is, what can we learn from Proverbs that will help us live more wisely if we're trying to live lives that matter, live lives that make a difference? Wisdom, obviously, is very important. So number one, what is wisdom? Well, if we went around the room, if we started over here and made our way all the way around, uh, we would be very quick, most of us would be quick to point out the idea that wisdom, it's not simply knowledge, it's more than that. Now, knowledge is a key component in a larger equation. I won't possess wisdom without knowledge, but obviously there's more to it. Proverbs 8 verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. And so you begin to get this equation in knowledge combined with discretion. Knowledge properly applied, that's what we sometimes say. Knowledge that controls my action. Uh, chapter 8, verse 10 of Proverbs. Take my instruction or choose my teachings. That's wisdom calling to us. Choose that instead of silver. Choose wisdom over silver. Choose knowledge over gold. Knowledge and discretion, or knowledge properly applied. Knowledge should affect my decision-making. Now, we illustrate this way. I know that the Bible says you shall not commit adultery. That comes from the Old Testament. It's a principle that comes right over to the New Testament. And so discretion, choosing the teaching, taking the knowledge and using it to make decisions in my life, that means that I avoid putting myself in situations that, that where adultery might be the potential outcome. That, that's a part of living in a wise way. I know that the Bible tells me to love my neighbor as myself. So discretion or choosing the teaching, taking the instruction, that's going to affect 
how everything plays out. Say, when my neighbor has a dog that will not stay out of my, my, my yard, if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, how am I going to deal with that? Or my neighbor's getting ready to build a fence, and he's trying to build that thing across the property line. Well, loving my neighbor as myself, I've got to deal with that. But wisdom and understanding and using the teaching, it's going to affect the way I interact with my neighbor. I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 13. And you may remember what's going on there. It's, it's where John, Jesus washes the, the, the feet of all the disciples. And He puts the towel on and He gets down there and He goes to work and He illustrates what being a servant is all about. And as He finishes that up in verse 17, He makes the statement, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. In other words, yes, you may know you ought to, but you're really blessed when you actually put that into action. And I say all that for this reason. Marriages today, even in the church, they're not coming apart more frequently than ever because a spouse didn't understand what was right and what was wrong. They come apart because wisdom is lacking. A lack of discretion. The teaching that we know, I haven't embraced that sufficiently for it to... uh, I've made a lifetime commitment and so am I going to embrace that teaching and, and allow that to control the way I make my decisions? Notice Proverbs chapter 8 verse 33 because it brings us right back to the concept of making good decisions based on the knowledge we have. Wisdom says, heed my instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Or listen to my teaching and you'll be wise. Do not ignore it. So we kind of define wisdom. The second question is, where do we find wisdom? Because man has searched the world over seeking after it. We pointed out that the search goes all the way back from from the time that man falls, from the time that sin enters the world. There's been this search for wisdom. Eve found out... That wisdom is not found in disobedience. Because she disobeyed and she gained some more knowledge, but that wasn't wise. Notice what the proverb writer says regarding where we do and where we do not find wisdom. Again from Proverbs chapter 8, verse 7. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Again, this is wisdom speaking. Verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way. Another translation there says, If you respect the Lord, you will also hate evil. I hate pride and bragging, evil ways and lies. See, verse 13, when you you hear it that way, that's where that verse gets challenging. I'm trying to respect God. But in too many cases, there's evil that still is in some way attractive. And if it wasn't attractive, there'd be no temptation. So I think verse 13 does a really good job of highlighting one of the battles that we fight as Christians. If I am trying to get something accomplished in my life, maybe it relates to my work, my career, and I'm trying to accomplish something but I have to sin in order to complete my plan or meet my goal, I'm not applying godly wisdom. Now, as some in the world might say, well, if you've met your goal, if you've achieved your goal, then evidently you are wise in getting there. But human wisdom and godly wisdom are often very different. I know of a couple who are a little bit older and they went to a car dealer a few years ago. And they were interested in buying a new car. And they're working with this young salesman. And they're asking, and there was a feature on the car, 
pretty minor in the grand scheme of things, but they'd been out and they're back in and so they're trying to confirm with this young sales guy, does this car have this feature? And he's, yes, 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 this car that you're looking at, it definitely has that feature on it. And the young salesman makes the sale. They get home with their car and they realize their car, it doesn't have the feature. The young salesman said that it had. And the young salesman had accomplished his goal. He'd sold a car. But when it was all said and done, it cost him more than it would have had he been living wisely. If I meet a person that I'm convinced, I've met this person and and I'm convinced that this person is my soulmate... This is the person I was destined to be with. If I meet that person, but that person's already married, I'm definitely not wise if I pursue that. Even though human wisdom might try to convince me that I deserve to be happy and lots of people go that route, but see, that's not godly wisdom. If I need a job, but I embellish my resume in such a way that I put things on it that are not true in order to be hired for a job, I'm using human wisdom and not godly wisdom. Uh, Dan Miller's book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, he writes in there about some of the ways that we sometimes embellish. Uh, Instead of taxi cab driver, he said one resume said, transportation logistics manager. Uh, Instead of the 18-year-old putting cook at McDonald's on the resume, the resume said, engineer for meat inspection and preparation. And now... When we create a resume, we need to make it as genuinely flattering as we can. I mean, if we're not willing to talk about our good traits, nobody else is going to. But we still need to be real. The bottom line is that acts of wickedness and sin are never wise... And God never smiles on them. And so again, where do we find wisdom? Uh, From Proverbs 8, another answer to the question would be not in the acquisition of stuff. And there's actually some irony in Proverbs 8 regarding this one, but listen to verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. And we talk about it a lot. That's a countercultural message for us. Things don't make me significant, even though... The world tells me that we do, that they do. We were talking at lunch today about a car commercial where there's one car commercial out there where the entire commercial, it tells you nothing about the car. The commercial is all about what it does for your life if you have the car. And so we see how that works. But then God's trying to remind us, wisdom's trying to remind us that things don't make me significant. I can have everything and still not be wise. And if I'm not wise, my life here will be a mess and I'll not end up to where I want to be in eternity. The irony from the proverb, if you have time later and you read all of Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom makes this this statement in the proverb and says, hey, if you'll pursue me first, I have the ability to provide you with things. But the message is don't pursue the things first. Pursue wisdom. And so we know significance is found in a relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, if you will. Now, we don't normally think in terms of Solomon as being a prophet, but an interesting thing happens in Proverbs chapter 8. 
Because we see wisdom being attributed with some of the same attributes that we find being ascribed to Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, we could make the case that that living wisely must be found in a relationship then with Jesus Christ. If I want to be wise, I'd better be in a relationship with Him. Uh, I'm going to move through these and hopefully you can keep up. But in Proverbs 8 verse 7, notice what it says about truth. Wisdom says, for my mouth will utter truth. Remember what the New Testament says about Jesus? John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then Proverbs 8 talks about righteousness. Proverbs 8, verse 20. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says... But by His doing, talking about God's, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So righteousness ascribed to both wisdom and to Christ. And then uh, the next one would be the idea that wisdom in Proverbs 8 is talked about as being in existence before the creation of the world. Same with Jesus talking about His involvement. Proverbs 8 verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. John chapter 1 verse 2, John 1 is very familiar to us. He, talking about Jesus, God the Son, was in the beginning with God. And then the involvement in creation. Notice Proverbs 8 beginning in verse 29. When he set for the sea its boundaries so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. So that's the statement about wisdom. Then in John 1 verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And we'll do one more. The idea that he who finds me finds life. Proverbs 8 verse 35. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. John chapter 10 verse 10 talking about Jesus the thief comes only to kill and to destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the message, if I want to live wisely... I need to make sure that my relationship with Jesus is in order. Daily contact with Him. If I'm struggling in my decision making, if I'm having this problem with making decisions on a repeated basis that that are not wise, one of my questions would be if I've given my life to Jesus as I make decisions, maybe I should be asking is, could Jesus support me in the decision that I'm about to make? That's why we years ago wear the bracelets that... And what would Jesus do on them? Because that's a really good wisdom question, even today. Could I pray about this and ask God's blessing on the decision that I'm about to make? And so if I'm struggling, again, if I make bad decisions and I make bad decisions and I realize I'm not exercising godly wisdom, maybe my focus needs to be on, okay, before I make any more choices, how can I strengthen my relationship with Christ? This is the last question that we'll ask tonight as we finish up. What is it 
that stands in the way of wisdom. You ever tried to, for those of us who are parents, you ever tried to guide one of your children through something, maybe offered even to help, and they refuse and they insist on doing it their own way, and then after everything is turned into this huge mess, they bring it to you to fix it? That's a part of being a parent. We need to be there for them in that way. I can remember how that played out for me. When I was young, I loved to go fishing. I'd go fishing every opportunity that I would get. But when I was very young, there were some times where I was bringing my dad a fishing pole, a rod, and a reel, and I had this line, and it was just a huge mess. And, and I can remember that look on my dad's face. We've got to fix this one more time. But that was part of learning to fish. But sometimes that's how we are. We want to do it and we want to handle it and then we make a mess. And, we want... and you know, there are times where God has laid out His plan and He's talking to us through Scripture about how we ought to be pursuing life and how we ought to be making our decisions. But we try to do it on our own and we turn it into a mess. And then when it's a big mess, then we bring it to God like that messed up rod and reel and we want Him to fix it. We can't afford to be obstinate and self-reliant we need to lean into God's teaching. So what stands sometimes in the way of our quest to live with wisdom? Well, sometimes we just don't really want it. We don't want it bad enough. Proverbs chapter 8, where we first began, those first four verses, it opens up by stating that wisdom is, is calling out like someone shouting, trying to get our attention. It, the idea that it's available, I, I think of... You know, you go to the ballpark and sometimes you've got the popcorn vendor and he's walking the aisles yelling, you know, popcorn, peanuts, crack, whatever you want. He's yelling, he's making all of that available. And that's, that's the paint, picture that's painted for me about wisdom. But sometimes I don't want that. Sometimes I choose things or stuff or whatever instead of wisdom. Sometimes we haven't allowed the Lord to convince us beyond a shadow of a doubt that His way is actually best. Maybe I don't have enough knowledge yet. Sometimes it's simply painful to grow up into Him. Because sometimes the growth process can be painful for us. Sometimes the pleasures of sin overpower what we know is wise. And again, God blesses us to, with the freedom of choice. We can make choices to do right or to do wrong, but the idea is if we want it bad enough, wisdom saying, I'm available, I'm here, I'm calling to you, I want your attention... So sometimes we just don't really want it. Sometimes, though, we're not willing to pay the price to possess it. Because like almost anything in life that's valuable, things that are valuable, there's a price to be paid to have them, and wisdom is no different. There are a number of action verbs in Proverbs 8 for the person who would possess wisdom. Some of those action words out of the new century, wisdom calls us to listen Verses 4, 6, 32, and 34. Wisdom calls us to be smarter, to get understanding. That's verse 5. Wisdom calls us to choose the teachings of wisdom. Verse 10. Verses 17 and 21 say that wisdom's calling us to love it. Love me, wisdom says. Love what I'm offering. Verse 17 says, those who seek me... Well, find me. The idea that if you want wisdom, if you want what I'm offering, you've got to seek after me. But then verse 34 says, as, as wisdom's making the case, wisdom says, it's watching at my door, it's waiting at my open doorway, I'm here. But verse 35 says, you've got to find me. 
couple of years ago, an interview was conducted with Jason Witten, plays tight end for uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and in the interview, the, the interviewer was talking about how Jason Witten and Tony Romo, they always seem to be on the same page. They always seem, you know, Romo knows where Witten's going, and it just seems like things work flawlessly for them in a game. And Jason Witten started talking about, yeah, you see that on Sunday. But he said, what you don't see is all those days of the week when there are no lights, and there is no crowd, and there is nothing other than the, the desire to win on Sunday when we're doing the work, paying the price. Uh, watched any of the Super Bowl coverage and there was plenty of it. I remember seeing a blurb back as the buildup was coming where um, Peyton Manning had bought a, a, a customized suit for a practice squad player. And the reason that he'd done that, this player didn't have a suit to wear. And this player had helped Peyton Manning pay the price to get healthy again. As he was healing up, somebody had to go catch pass after pass after pass. When Peyton didn't really have a team to practice with, he couldn't practice with the team yet, so this one guy would go out and catch pass after pass after pass and help Peyton pay the price to be ready to play in that game again. Anything in life that we value, there's a price to be paid to have it. And and wisdom is no different. We've got to want it if we're going to possess it. And sometimes we're less successful than we'd like to be because we just haven't been willing to pay that price. The most powerful evidence of living wisely is allowing the Lord to continually mold us, to mold our lives more closely to His image. I believe that's why Proverbs 1 verse 7 leads off by saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so earlier, as we began tonight, we we asked the question, we tried to answer the question from Scripture, okay, what is wisdom? It's knowledge combined with discretion. It's applied knowledge. And and, and when we do that, better decision-making should be the result. And so the question becomes, what kind of choices will we make when we arrive at the crossroads? Day to day. Making a choice. Will I... Imitate Jesus, because all these qualities of wisdom are attributed to Jesus. And so, will my decisions, will they imitate Jesus? And if I'll do that, then I can count on the idea that my decisions are going to be wise ones. Will I make decisions that are life-changing in a positive way? As I make this choice about whatever it is I'm making a choice on, will what I'm about to choose make it easier or more difficult for me to go to heaven? Think about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. From the text, we know that he's done a lot of things well. But when Jesus provides him with some new knowledge, he's got to make a choice about how he will respond. Will I sell what I have and give those things away? And in verse 22 of Matthew of that chapter, Matthew 19, he goes away grieving because the Bible says he had a lot of stuff. He didn't make the wise choice even though he was given the knowledge that he needed. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching this powerful sermon. And the hearers that day, they're being presented with some new knowledge. They're being presented with things that they, knowledge that they did not have before. And so they too are being brought to a crossroads where they've got to make a decision. And so then in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, they ask a question similar to the one that the rich young ruler asked Jesus. Their question is, what must we do? And see, in that case, Peter gives them the answer 
And about 3,000 of them respond wisely. They take the new knowledge, they apply that into their lives, and they begin this walk with God. They obeyed the gospel. And so tonight, as we get ready to sing the invitation song that has been selected, the question is, have, have you done that? And most of us have. Most of us here on a Sunday night, we're Christians. We've, we've made that, what must I do? We've answered that. We know what the answer is, and we've acted on that knowledge. We've applied it into our lives. But maybe you're here and you have the knowledge, but you haven't yet made that choice. Maybe you need to make the choice to become a Christian tonight. Maybe in your walk with God, you realize as a Christian, your choices haven't always been wise ones. And so maybe the the response is, thinking about Proverbs 8, I'm going to do everything within my power to apply godly wisdom into my decision making so that my tomorrow will be better than my today was. But maybe for whatever reason, as you think about your walk, maybe you need to know that your church family is praying with you and for you. One of the blessings of being a family is we get to do that together when we need to. And so if you have a need tonight, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. Have Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after Thy will.